Hello and welcome to Overinvested, a podcast about pop culture obsessions. I'm Gavia Baker-Whitelaw and here is my co-host Morgan Davies. Hello. So this week we watched High School Musical 2, an unexpected but very welcome request from one of our wonderful Patreon subscribers, Lenore. Uh, starring Zac Efron and Vanessa Hudgens, it's a sequel to the smash hit Disney Channel movie High School Musical. I feel like plot-wise we don't really need to go into a lot of detail here. The concept is that all the characters are in high school and they like to do musicals. This one is set during the summer holidays so it's at a resort and the conflict stems from the fact that the poor kids have to work at the resort while the rich kids get to go to the resort. And this film is both full of mid-2000s bops and is of course Marxist propaganda so we've got a lot to go into this week. This was super fun to rewatch. I'd seen it as a teen, Morgan hadn't seen it. Before we go any further, I would like to preemptively apologise for what is probably quite echoey sound quality this week. Ordinarily I don't sound like this, but I just moved house so I am currently sitting in the empty half-assembled bed frame of my bed in my new bedroom which has no furnishings. So we'll sort that out for next week, but just ignore the echoing and pretend that I'm in like a cool cave or something. But yeah, so Morgan, I saw this when it came out in 2007 when I would have been a teen um, and you didn't because you were too intellectual, but now you've had your eyes opened to how fun it is. Yes, this was a real trip of an experience for me because I had not seen this before, as you say, but I knew all of the songs because my younger brother, <laughs> my two younger brothers, the baby is seven years younger than I am, and he was obsessed with this at the time because he was exactly in that age range. Uh and he grew up to be a gay man whose prime passion in life is acapella music. So you can imagine that this was really in his wheelhouse at the age of 10. And I, as a teenager, was a snob. So I hated this so much. He had the CD and he would play it in the car, in the house, really anywhere that he could force it upon me. And I would scream at him because I hated it and I wanted it to be turned off. So this was sort of the tension in the household was me despising these songs intensely and wanting them to go away. Uh, but I never saw the movie. And had I seen it at that time, I would have hated it deeply. Like there's no way that there would have been any other outcome than that. So I watched it as an adult for the first time, having the experience of A, thinking this is fun. B, this is absurd, and C, I know all of these songs, but like not because I wanted to learn them, they were like forced <laughs> into my brain. I mean, this is like <laughs> if you were working in like a department store and they just play the top 10 hits from 15 years ago on a loop all year. <laughs> yes, and I have not heard any of these songs since probably 2009 at the latest, right? So it was this completely bizarre sort of time travel experience of being like, oh my god, it's, you know, the summer, and I'm at home, and my brother is, like, singing these songs in my face. Like, what is happening? Also, without so, the context of the plot, had you put together any idea of the plot from the songs you'd overheard, or have they just oh, gone into like, no, okay. Zero. And the sort of most surreal aspect of this experience was like the Huma Huma Nuka Nuka Akua song, or however that is pronounced, I distinctly remember like being on vacation and being like, please stop, please stop. Like, I can't take this anymore. I had no memory that that was from this. I don't know if I even knew that it was from this. And yet somehow these things all sort of conspired to occur. 
And yeah, all it was just, it was really, really surreal. But the movie's really fun. <laughs> and I would not have appreciated any of it as a teenager because, again, I was a humorless scold. So it, it all kind of worked out perfectly that this has, this has come at this time. So thanks to Lenore again, our Yeah, it was for, so fun to watch. This. And like, I went into it with literally no memory of what happened in this film. And then every time a song started, I was like, oh, this great song. <laughs> like, this wasn't really the kind of music I was into as a teen. But um, when the first High School Musical movie came out and it was like a big hit, this was when I was sort of kind of in the middle towards the end of high school. And it was such a phenomenon that my friends and I were like, well, we have to watch this film which just to be clear is not for teens it's for kids like this is a children's movie it was a made for tv disney channel movie and they churn out like five or ten of these a year but this one partly because they marketed the songs in advance in a really smart way and partly just out of like a weird fluke this became like a colossal hit and i think in last week's episode we kind of described this as the rocky horror show for 10 year olds which it really was because when it came out in 2006 it was fucking playing on a loop. There was like whatever the Disney, the second Disney channel was, they just like replaced a bunch of the programming with that, I think, for a while. And like kids were just desperate for it. The songs were everywhere. Like the big song from the first one was a huge hit. And it is like what made Zac Efron. Obviously, Vanessa Hudgens, the co-lead, has also had a pretty successful career. But Zac Efron is kind of the person who really broke out. And they were also kind of in real life a tabloid couple and it's just like a really corny musical where the concept of the first one is that there's these two kids who are not in the musical, but then they have to be drafted into the musical to make sure the musical happens. And it's like, it is a traditional musical as in they just break into song in the world and they live in musical land, but also it's about putting on a musical, which is why Disney Plus now has a TV series called High School Musical, the musical, the series about a bunch of kids in a high school putting on a musical of high school, the high school musical, which kids in high schools do actually put on as a musical. Because when I was live tweeting High School Musical 2 last night, someone replied being like, oh, we put this on in our school. And I was like, oh my God, amazing. Um, but yeah, it was this huge, huge thing for kids. And it is very much sort of in that children's entertainment zone. And all of the performances in it are so Disney Channel, just like the broad comedy and like watching it I had this really weird realization sort of towards the beginning that all of the sort of bad Instagram and TikTok skits like not like good Vine style comedy but like bad teen comedy skits all just come from Disney Channel influences and I was like I can't believe how fucking stupid I am for not realizing this but um, Morgan have you ever seen like a bad teen comedy skit on Instagram or TikTok? I don't believe so, no. Because the, there's loads of people who are really, who are basically TikTok celebrities and like the the actually funny ones go viral in the internet that we, the boring adults, see and because they're actually funny. But there's also loads of TikTok stars who are just like an attractive teen and their comedy skits would just be something which like isn't a joke. It's just them standing in like a room or like interacting with someone and being like, when your girlfriend says this, I'm like this. And it'll be just like an observation that isn't funny, but they're attractive and they have good hair and they're followed by like 9 million 10-year-old girls. And <laughs> all of their kind of tone of performance and their aesthetic is so Disney Channel. They are literally, it was so, it's so obvious to me now that these are people who are like 21 and saw reruns of like stuff like High School Musical when they were little kids. And they kind of internalized that style of comedy 
but they're not comedians, so they're just like saying stuff in this weird sort of like mannequin, like fake teenage scenario. Oh god, it was very Yeah, it's this it's just this kind of fun, cheerful, very child-friendly, innocent, sexless musical land that feels very much like it's sort of the mid-2000s version of like a 1950s film. <laughs> Except that those old movies actually are like all about sex. Yeah, yeah, they're like yeah. Right? Actually, that's a bad comparison because it's like there's no yeah. subtext in this film. It's just no. all like it's just all <laughs> very clean and very brightly coloured, and everyone has like really smooth, fake tanned skin, and the two lead characters are just huge idiots. And I was just like, Zac Efron was one of those people, like Justin Bieber, where loads of people were like, "God, that guy is so fucking annoying." Because he was just this handsome just jock who was everywhere and watching this I'm like obviously now we all know that Zac Efron is a really good comedy actor but when I was watching this I was like yeah he and the other main girl obviously the two main characters in this type of film are always the least interesting in a group of characters who are largely not very interesting but like the fact that he is just his facial expressions are so vacant like he is just performing stupidity in such an amazing way i'm like you know what this is actually a great show he is the perfect they all are like they're just literally just disney park employees playing cartoon characters with no brains (laughs) it's amazing (laughs) yeah they are really i mean the whole time i kept saying to myself like teenagers do dumb things all the time so attempting to ascribe like logic to teenage characters is a fool's errand. And yet <laughs> he and it's Troy and Gabriella, right? Are the names yeah. of the, yeah. yeah. They, so they're working at this resort and they keep being told by their boss, you can't just like screw around on the grounds or like use the pool after hours or basically like break the rules or else you will get fired and they're like okay and then they just keep doing it over yeah, and over and that's over what again teenagers are like they don't understand what rules are <laughs> right but because the performances are so vacant it's not like psychological it's just like they're a machine that just keeps doing the same thing over and over and over again because they don't have another setting and i was just like please stop like just just don't do this. Like, why? And then when they get, you know, yelled at again, they're just, like, confused. As though they haven't been told seven times to not go in the pool. And it's like, oh my god, you're such an idiot. You're so dumb. But the whole point is that he's an idiot. So, you know, it works. It's fine. I never got him, I must say. I haven't seen... I feel like I must have seen him in some of the adult stuff. And he seems like a perfectly appealing, intelligent person as an adult I was googling him you know after watching this for research and his most recent interview was basically him being like I'm never getting into really fit shape again it's stupid and a waste of time and I hated it and I was like good like seems seems wow. good I did not know that because he really is like the abs man I mean he's a funny actor whereas Vanessa yeah. Hudgens is sort of like she's had this career where she's sort of moved more into I guess like sort of the traditional career you have after being a Disney star if you don't go off the rails, which is just sort of like TV movies and quite safe rom-coms, but also kind of in real life, <laughs> she's just, she's so problematic. And she just, she did, she's like, recently she had some unbelievably like stupid selfie video where she was like misunderstanding coronavirus and coming across like the stereotype of just an asshole. So it's, you know. Yes, she's not had a great month. <laughs> Whatever. But also it's like, um... how much do any of us care about Vanessa Hudgens? 
Not much. Not very much, I don't think. Back to Zac Efron. Zac Efron, he's a, he's a hunk. Whatever. Yeah, I just... <laughs> well, see, I remember in college, and he was sort of embarking upon the next phase of his career, right? And I remember my roommates and I were all just so confused, because none of us got it, because we were too old to have gotten this, right? And I feel like his target audience for, like, the hunkiness was the younger people. And, I mean, I I just personally don't find him attractive at all, so it was very confusing to me to watch his, his career in that realm, right? Because I was just like, wh- why do people like this man? Like, I don't get it. But there's something kind of perfect about him as the lead of this, because he has the vacant sort of weird face and the terrible, terrible haircut, which is... <laughs> Very much of the time. Yeah, it's the, it's the, it's about five seconds before Justin Bieber showed up and perfected that aesthetic. Mm-hmm. Yes, he epitomized that sort of look, and all the little girls loved him. So you know, it all makes sense. I just never got it. So I think that was another part of the reason why I looked at these movies and was just like, "What the fuck?" Like. Why is this popular? I don't understand. But I also never liked boy bands, so it was really just like beyond my power of comprehension. Like even as a little kid, I was just like, "Why do people like the Backstreet Boys? What's wrong with you?" Like, again, I wasn't fun, so that's really getting back to that theme. But yeah, High School Musical two, this film, cost seven million dollars, has a lot of extensive kind of mid range group dance numbers wearing some amazing mid-2000s fashions and um oh is thematically about class struggle yeah the themes are are quite something but i think we should talk about the clothes first <laughs> since i was just mentioning zach efron's amazing hair the clothes simultaneously took me back they took me back to that time and also took me back to i guess specifically like the macy's of that time because no one actually dressed like this right yeah it's also like if you look at like a normal film from kind of the mid 2000s there will be elements where you can date it to the mid 2000s but there's a specific type of sort of american and to a certain extent also british young person celebrity fashion that like a lot of teens were trying to emulate which is so period specific in a way that doesn't necessarily pan on to like years on either side of that where it's more just like oh here's some clothes but it's like those mid-2000s sort of the Lindsay Lohan era where all these people like Ashley Tisdale the villain in this are wearing these sort of low-rise pleated miniskirts and the Capri pants and all the sort of artificial colors (laughs) just amazing uh, amazing the hats. Oh, a lot of hats. The hats are really the best. A Britney part, Spears fedora for every person. The the friend who plays the piano who writes the songs has has a little a little hat she wears the whole time that is so absurd looking. <laughs> I just was it's like why would anyone have decided to do this? And yet that definitely was a look that people adopted yeah in real life and it yeah. was definitely propagated by the costume designers of the disney channel because this was like the early miley, miley cyrus look as well Mm-hmm. i was really taken also with the all the girls clearly having had their hair done yes. which i mean it's a movie right yeah but, like to an absurd degree my favorite was probably uh troy and gabriella showing up for work 
early in the movie together looking very idyllic and she's a lifeguard and she's like had her hair blown out and is in a cute little sundress <laughs> it's so to go curled. to her job at the pool i was like i really don't think she that like that... jumps into the pool and then in the next scene her hair is dry and it's curled and it's like yes i do appreciate musical land <laughs> Whereas, you know, he's got his, like, mop of whatever, because, sure. But the the fashion highlight, of course, is, is Sharpay. Yes, yes. Really astonishing villain territory. Aesthetically, performance-wise, Ashley Tisdale sort of vanished, which makes sense. She was such a child actor. More than a lot of the others, I think, or the main people anyway, like she was really a child star. And she's kind of perfect for this in that when she's actually acting, it feels quite fake, which works for the character, but she's really, really good at singing. So that those portions she really nails, and then when she has to act, it's so over the top it's and overblown really, that you're like, really oh. just so exaggeratedly absurd. And also because it's more in the vein of children's TV than teen. Like, all of the sort of yes. hijinks that she's getting up to and, like, the absurd schemes. Because her whole thing is she just wants to steal Troy and have Troy as her boyfriend and, like, manipulate the world through her evil riches to sort of make it that Troy is her singing partner to get him away from his poor friends. And it's just, like, it's just... It's so fucking stupid. <laughs> and her method for achieving this is that... So her family owns the resort. And she just tells the, like, manager to hire all these people from the school and then to make their lives miserable so that they'll quit or he can fire them. And then like, she just tells him that to do this or to do that. And he just does all of it because, because it's a children's movie. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's kind of like, it's like 101 Dalmatians logic where it's like, you can just like do stuff. <laughs> right. Yeah. It was, it was pretty amusing. I mean, she's right. Cause it doesn't make any sense at all, but if you're a little kid, she's scary. So, of course she could boss this adult man with a job around, because wouldn't he also be scared I mean, of this terrifying 16-year-old? If, if he was, like, the manager of the Trump resort, and she is a Trump daughter, <laughs> which is effectively the premise of this film, yes. then, yeah, like, he'll get fired if he doesn't obey this, like, mad teenager's evil whims to go and sadistically torture this other bunch of teenagers in a resort where every employee is a 17-year-old, which is already a managerial nightmare, quite frankly. I mean, they do a pretty good job of making that believable, that he would be so terrified of her. The, the one area in which it's a bit absurd is that he has all of his summer staff and then is going to try to fire them because it will make her happy because then he'd have no more staff. I can't and that believe seems... we're discussing potential plot holes in High School Musical 2. It well, is all fine. <laughs> we are uh, film critics. Yes, and it's true. And this is our art. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Yeah. But because Troy is an airhead, he is, of course seduced away by promises of getting a college scholarship for his basketball skills which of course is consensually hilarious because he's five foot eight um but he has to do a sport and for some reason this trilogy of movies decided that troy bolton played by five foot eight zach efron should be a basketball player and you know sharpay persuades him that the best way to get ahead in life is to be hanging around with her and getting connections to get into college and his father is all like, oh, 
you know, you need to think about the future. So he abandons his friends who are like the solid working class roots. Although quite frankly, everyone in this is like living in a beautiful suburban house because it's American TV. Um, <laughs> but then you get like this amazing story arc, which is all about how the poor kids band together and they like adopt Sharpay's rejected gay brother. And so like the white male athlete goes over to become a villain. And then the working class kids who are led by three people of colour go and adopt the gay guy and they are like, we're going to do like a rousing homoerotic musical number on a baseball field all about how we need to like get in step in each other's shoes and then work together or whatever. Because there's like (laughs) 90 songs in this and they all have really banal themes, but they're so great. (laughs) Yeah, all the uh, stuff about the fact that like the gay brother gets adopted by the people of colour seems definitely accidental to me yes, in terms absolutely. of its deeper theme. There's no way that any of anything here is intentional. <laughs> but it is very satisfying. I mean, that one number, the baseball number, is obviously intentionally homoerotic. I mean, that's yes. not, you know. But, um, yeah. Well, we have to discuss that at length. I will say briefly beforehand, there's so much sports in this movie because they've had a lot of meetings behind the scenes where they're like we need to make sure the boys are watching this <laughs> yes absolutely but they've chosen so there's the basketball which i assume is a much larger focus of the first one and yeah. is sort of tangential here which as you say is hilarious because zach efron is short and they have one scene where he's like practicing with the college guys and they're all like a foot taller than he and is. And they're not like, even yeah. like basketball tall. They're like regular. No. They're like, they've got these guys in who are like six foot one. And it's like, even this is absurd. <laughs> yes. And then the other big sports element is golf because it is, of course, a resort. And Troy, who is supposedly, you know, working class, although again, as you say, he lives in a very nice house is like a golf prodigy because he's also on the golf team. And I was like, I mean, I didn't grow up in Arizona. I grew up in Massachusetts in a rich wasp family with parents who played golf. But like, I don't know how it works out there. What the fuck is going on? Sharpay, the child of these rich people who own this resort, is like, I don't know how to play golf. Teach me, Zac Efron. And I was just like, oh my God, this is triggering for me. (laughs) I can't take all the golf. Uh, golf is horrible. I hate it. And um, so bad golf etiquette throughout, which I did not enjoy. I didn't like having to watch all any of the golf because golf is horrible. But uh, three, how does he even, what is, why is he spending his time on this? Where is he getting the money? Why is he bothering? Doesn't make any sense. Who are the children in America who want to see this, who have been playing golf? Th- these are my questions as a New Englander. I mean, it was written by a middle-aged man (laughs) who wrote the first movie for his preteen daughter and then named the main character after her and named the other characters after her friends. And I think that's a very sweet gesture because prior to that, he was doing action movies with titles like Shadow Ops. So (laughs) maybe he was like, look, I'm not doing any more research. This is going to be a golf-focused movie. (laughs) Yes, we we need to just give into my passions now and that is uh golf where they're cheating at putting it's very bad so yeah lots of golf some basketball and then the baseball number which is truly just a work of art yeah 
I mean, rewatching this, every time a new song came on, as I said, I would remember it and be like, great, what a bop. There's like four songs in this that I actually remember really liking and probably listening to voluntarily after watching the film. The baseball one was one of them. I had also forgotten that there was like a fandom for those two guys, the baseball guy and the gay musicals guy, because this is like their duet song where they both kind of swap roles and persuade each other to try the other thing. And the whole point is like the gay guy proves that he like is good at baseball and he used to be a baseball champion. And the other guy is like, well, I guess I will dance after all and I'm going to learn to dance. And they like swap outfits and then they're pals afterwards. But um, there was like a live journal fanfic fandom for those guys. And when I was live tweeting this, it's like all these people are like, yes, I love those guys. Remember how great this is? And I was like, I have, I had forgotten, but um, I'm glad that <laughs> I looked on AO3 because I was like, how many people do ship this? And like, there was a fanfic uploaded for them like yesterday. So clearly this was like a formative you know, fictional subtext relationship for a lot of queer tweens back in the mid-2000s. Yeah, it's great. I mean, the actual content, again, makes no sense because what they're actually saying is, well, if I can dance, then obviously I can play baseball, which I mean, it is as rational as any other classic musical number. Yes. But the choreography is great because there's baseball dancing, which if you love baseball, as I do... (laughs) (laughs) very satisfying and you last week were saying morgan you can't possibly bring freud references (laughs) to our high school too (laughs) i really do hope we've got a lot of crossover uh, listeners between last week's episode on hitchcock's rear window and this week's episode on high school musical 2 definitely listen to those as a twofer (laughs) and i was watching and they're literally like fighting over a baseball bat and then there's a part in the number where, like, it's like, you know, uh, West Side Story dancing where, like, one half of them are, like, pointing baseball bats at each other in a threatening way. And I was like, hmm, what could any of this mean? What could it suggest? I couldn't possibly say. And then, of course, there's the outfit swap, as, as you say. Obviously, this is 2007 on the Disney Channel, and they can't make any explicit references to sexuality but they really go as far as they can without (laughs) saying anything clearly it's pretty fun and the song's very catchy so that was very entertaining to me but uh yeah the most successful invocation of of athletics i would say and again not targeted at people who probably were were athletes but that's fine you know if it pleased the executives then whatever but I guess did we, I don't know if we said that that is when Sharpay's brother, Ryan, goes over to the dark side, yeah. as it were. So he's with the poor, in quotes, kids, and is helping them with their number for the uh, talent show. And she has convinced Troy to sing a horrible version of a very nice song that their friend wrote for him and Gabriella to sing. Gabriella breaks up with him because he has turned into a little toad. And then Sharpay is very mad, so she makes her henchmen tell all of the other employees that they can't participate in the talent show, which, to be fair, kind of makes sense because otherwise there would be no one working 
the event, so I'm not sure how any of this was set up in the first place, well, but I mean, that's not the kind of logic. They set up a sort of, like, the whole concept is it's like a time for the lower decks and upper decks people to mix in a social context for the first and last time of the year. And then when you actually get to it, it's like this massive sit-down event where there was, like, actual grown adults sort of sitting there at, like, cocktail tables. Right. And they're like, I can't wait to watch the resort <laughs> talent contest. And it's like, wow, you guys really have empty lives. Um, yes. <laughs> but um, the yes. teens are very characteristically hyped about it, which is very real because that sort of thing matters enormously when you're 17. Um, oh, of course. And well done. They all get to do a musical number, which I found less interesting because the upbeat ones are clearly superior. Yeah, it is very much one of the worst songs in the movie. It reminded me a bit of A Star is Born and that the last song you're just like... I don't even remember. But like the it, the hit song for this was What Time Is It? Which is like the opening number. Yes, which apparently was the highest selling single of the year in 2007. Which is like crazy. That's crazy. I'm pretty sure that High School Musical 3 was like, it had like the biggest opening weekend of like any movie musical at the time. Possibly... A Star is Born may have beaten it since then, but like at the time, because like every child in America was like, I have to see this in theaters. Uh, it made $252 million total. I mean, I would imagine that back in the, the day, if you adjust for inflation, that the, the golden age of the MGM musicals, I'm sure there was, there were others that outperformed it, but um, that's a very good very good number, and 252 worldwide is a lot of money. There was, so I was, when I was Googling uh, around after watching this, I found a Vice article, the headline of which is, High School Musical 2 is actually kind of okay. So that's a <laughs> ringing endorsement. Uh, sort of typical, typical Vice material. They're going in on the socialist themes, etc. But um, the, they have all this data about how well the movie and the franchise did and it is really astounding so the second one they cost like fuck all they cost the same amount as like like a music video like a Lady Gaga music video probably costs more than these whole films right and I'm sure they signed them on signed the cast on for you know however many films at the beginning so it wasn't like they had to suddenly pay them a bunch after the first one was a hit so the fil- this, so this one was had a budget of $7 million, as we said, and despite debuting on television, this article says, it managed to pull in 17.2 million viewers in its premiere, which made it the highest rated basic cable telecast of all time at the time. And in 2006 and 2007, between the first two films, the franchise made an estimated $1 billion in operating profit. This is just bananas. I mean, also, I can't believe, like, the cast didn't become socialists after that, because Zac Efron probably, like, signed on as, like, this random person no one had heard of, and at the end of it, he was like, well, I loved that contract that gave me $50. (laughs) Right. Exactly. The classic Disney Channel child star trajectory. Like, honestly, congrats to them on apparently maintaining a relatively even keel. I guess also partly because, like, this was not so much like a TV thing and it was like three movies rather than the constant exposure you get from being Miley Cyrus or whatever, but still. Yes. Yeah. It's a weird, weird type of fame. Absolutely. Big time. 
I think the fact that it was movies and not television must have helped hugely. And that it was sort of pre-social media. Like obviously, social media existed at this time, but not the way that it did now. So I think they probably could sort of hide a bit. And the fact that the, you know, these people were obviously hugely famous. We all knew who they were. They were in tabloids, etc. But the fact that the biggest fans were children probably helped. Because children are very enthusiastic. Yes. But... And also you can, like, force your parents to buy you stuff. It's like if there's one product that is easily available at, like, Target and every child is making their parents buy at Christmas, that's the goldmine. Right. Also, this is, like, when you think about kind of other stuff that's, like, a child craze, this is so much more comprehensible. Because as, like, an adult, you can be like, I understand what High School Musical is. It's a child-friendly musical about a high school. Whereas when people are like, you know, little kids are obsessed with Baby Shark or some fucking like weird TikTok star that is incomprehensible to anyone over the age of 25, you're just like, I don't get this. I feel so alienated right now. So if anything, this is like a golden age of like artificial products aimed at children. (laughs) Right. It harkens back to the old musicals that, you know, we're all familiar with, even if, you know, my parents who are the age range of the parents who were, you know, whose kids were obsessed with this as my brother was were not the were not kids or adults when those old musicals were coming out but they everyone knows what they are right um so this is in a familiar mode as opposed to like tiktok which no adults don't understand myself included but there is something kind of funny about the way the film depicts reality i mean that's an obvious statement but what kind of amused me the most about it was that it is engaging with all of these kind of teen movie tropes, class, etc. Yeah. Yes. And I think it does a pretty good job of engaging with the sort of class issues in a very basic way, which is obviously what it's trying to do. It's not trying to be complicated. Um, you know, Troy is a asshole. He acts like a jerk and his friends don't like him anymore. And it's frustrating. And then he decides he should not act like a jerk anymore. And that's good. And so for children watching this, like it's a well-constructed message about, you know, not acting like a dick. But all the sort of structure around that, there's no resemblance whatsoever to reality in any way. So like they make sort of gestures at like, all these kids need summer jobs, so they need to save for college. And he's motivated by the fact that he needs a scholarship to go to college because he needs the money, which are, like, serious issues that people have, right? But it's so divorced from, like, the reality <laughs> of any of that <laughs> that it's just like, yeah, he's going to work. And um, then he'll just have a, a different job where he teaches kids how to, how to golf. And um, the the people come from the college and play basketball with him. And he lives in a nice house. <laughs> and it's like scholarship and job are just these like words that appear. And yeah, because it's written by an eight-year-old. <laughs> right. Written and from the perspective. It's not even a criticism because like children don't, you know. But you can kind of tell that everyone involved with this isn't actually dealing with these issues and that the target audience (laughs) is not people who are dealing with these issues either. Like, for instance, my younger brother, 
who is a a child, so doesn't have to worry about that, and is from a family where money problems were not going to be an issue for him as a teenager, right? Like, so it was just kind of funny watching this, and I was like, oh, your intentions are so good, but I don't know how how far you're really getting there. It's all it's all fine, but again, the sort of rosy fantasia of American suburbia in all of these movies, which we have discussed before, was was really coming through in a humorous way. Um, are there any other musical numbers we want to hit before we conclude? I was just going to say, I think we should at least mention Zac Efron's dramatic dancing on the golf course. Oh my God. How could we forget Zac Efron's iconic (laughs) meme moment when he dances on the golf course? And you can tell he means business because he's worn a black outfit, the only black outfit in the entire film because he's in a dark period of his life. And he goes and emotes to like the closest thing that Disney Channel can manage to rock music, which is that there is kind of a electric guitar in the background. (laughs) and he like goes and yells oh some great performance there marvelous just like the tone they all strike of their disney channel star performances it's like such a unique type of acting and they all are really just doing it in that sort of like i work in a theme park way love it love it yeah really satisfying i mean that is a famously memed scene which the meme from that scene is like one split second of of footage yeah but the whole thing, works, like, the but, meme um, really illustrates and encapsulates that whole musical. Yes. <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah. Really, really satisfying. It's a really entertaining watch. The The songs are, are, are bops, as I believe you tweeted. I probably should have been able to appreciate that more at the time, but it was not in the cards for me. So just have to uh, do so as an adult. I think that that is all that we have to say about high school musical two thank you again to lenore for this truly delightful uh journey down memory lane for you and into a corner of the culture that i had kind of traversed but not really for me uh my brother was very excited to learn that we would be talking about this when i texted him so uh it's really been a a trip reminder to our listeners that if you would like us to watch something of your choosing that that option is available to you on our patreon which you can find at patreon.com slash overinvested podcast we will also shortly be posting a mini-sode on uh Quibi, which launched yesterday as we record this uh you have seen many of the Quibi shows i have i have not yet this this seminal moment in culture, everything changes with Quibi. So we have oh yeah, to talk I'm sure it's it. worth the 1.75 billion dollars that have been raised for that service. Yeah. Did you see my tweet about Thirty Rock yesterday? And this? oh, like the one of the shows is literally just like a parody from Thirty Rock. No, so I am rewatching Thirty Rocks. One of my quarantine activities this is one of my favorite shows ever. I haven't seen it in a long time. I was obsessed with it as it was airing another show that was on and it started in 2006 2007 so that's what i was watching at this time was like obsessing over 30 rock and not understanding half of the jokes i am learning as an adult watching this (laughs) show now but will arnett plays this uh executive at nbc who's uh sort of a rival to alec baldwin who is on like one episode of the first season and shows up occasionally in the future and he's pitching a show 
or like new content to the uh, higher ups, which is, I quote, celebrity snuff reality content that is exclusively for people's mobile phones in like short installments. <laughs> and and they're all just like, well, that's absurd. And he loses out to Jack Donaghy, Alec Baldwin, who instead proposes a three-hour special on fireworks, which also fails. So this is 2007, big, big joke. And I was like, oh my God, literally that is now happening. Is and Will Arnett like- is hosting a show on Quibi. Right. But not only that, he's hosting a show on Quibi, which I was just writing about this morning, may well have plagiarized its concept from a pre-existing YouTube channel because it's a show called Memory Hole, which is like a remix show where they like take out bizarre pieces of kind of 1980s VHS ephemera and then Will Arnett makes stilted jokes about them as the presenter in mobile format. Uh, But also there is like a YouTube channel called Memory Hole, which takes bizarre VHS tapes and then from the 80s and 90s for like comedy and horror purposes and it's like a very popular YouTube channel from like five or six years ago and is made by the Everything is Terrible People, which is like a popular video website. So they also have this like a nearly identical looking logo. And it's like, wow. So they have, you know, potentially there's been some overlap there. So it's like, well done, well Narnet, on that completely unimpressive piece of work that you have ended up hosting. Yeah. So all that and more on our uh, future Episode. Yeah, I mean there are there are movies on Quibi starring such luminaries as Christoph Waltz and Sophie Turner, real actors. I look forward to Guillermo del Toro's alleged project on this service. Uh-huh. Yeah. Oh boy. So again, but that's on Patreon. We'll be... yes. What's our next episode episode for next week? Next week on the main feed, we will be discussing Moonstruck, which Seems to be having a bit of a moment on the I mean, sort of I film like internet. I've not seen Moonstruck, but I feel like people kind of rediscover it every couple of years because people fucking love Moonstruck, and I'm excited to find out why. I watched it for the first time uh, a few days ago, and uh, it's great. Shockingly, I'm I'm here to tell you that Moonstruck is great. It's streaming on Amazon Prime for people in America, so it's easily accessible if you have access to a Prime account, and uh, it's really, really really wonderful. Uh, Bobby Finger, who is the co-host of the Who Weekly podcast, tweeted the other day that uh, the difference in age between Cher and Nicolas Cage is the same as if uh, Timothy Chalamet and Jessica Chastain were starring in a rom-com now, which I had not realized when I was watching it, because Cher, of course, is, you know, luminous. And that really was wonderful to me. I I loved to contemplate that. So now I think that those two should be in a romantic comedy. Yeah, it's, it's fantastic. So that will be the subject of our discussion next week. So watch or rewatch that and then come back. Gavia, where can our listeners find you and your work? For instance, your coverage of the incredibly vital new streaming service, Quibi. Yeah, you can find my writing at The Daily Dot and you can find me on Twitter at hello underscore Taylor. And you can find me on Twitter at ML Davies. The podcast is on Twitter at overinvestedpod. Our Tumblr is overinvestedpodcast and our website is overinvestedpodcast.com. Thanks. Bye. <laughs>